0: The pain was unbearable, but she had to bear it. She had no choice, no escape. Her attempts to lock up her mind in meditation to get away from what the men were doing to her, slapping her, groping her, raping her, selfishly taking what they wanted in an attempt to dominate, were futile. The leader, an arrogant prick named Mickey Slim, worked for a local crime boss in the burbs where she was operating. He had given her a warning once before to steer clear of them And she hadn't taken him seriously. Dumbass punk, he'll never catch me, she had thought to herself. as she slipped through the alleyway she always took on her way home. That was before the bastard used some kind of psychic power on her. All it took was a touch. And she groaned as she dropped to her knees. Her mind fuzzy, unable to fully comprehend what was going on around her. Some sort of psychic neural shock had short-circuited her nervous system. When she recovered, she was tied to a bed, bound and gagged and naked. Mickey Slim and his thugs took turns having their way with her, which was horrible enough by itself, but Slim decided to take it a step further and psychically forced his way into her mind, projecting disgusting images and thoughts of what was happening. In effect, raping her mentally as well. Just lay back and relax, baby. It'll all be over soon, he said in a mocking tone. This asshole really wanted her to suffer, not just physically, but psychically. Suddenly, alerted by her uncanny sixth sense that she was in imminent danger, she snapped out of her wide-awake nightmare. Sirens began to blare in her ear, forcing the painful memories back down to the subconscious depths from which they had emerged. What the fuck? This job should have been as easy as any of them had ever been. Get in, acquire the goods, get out. Only this time, something was wrong. Alarms were going off. Alarms that she had already disabled.
1: Some asshole must have tipped them off. Ratted me out. No time to waste. Got to ghost out now. Payback later.
0: Lana froze in panic for a split second as the flashing red lights and noisy alarm buzzer rang in her ear. A moment later, she turned insubstantial, ghosted, and headed for the exit door. As soon as she did, she began feeling dizzy.
1: Fuck me!
0: She thought as her world began to swirl around her.
1: Got to get... Got
0: Everything faded to black as she collapsed to the floor, her body limp.
2: Wake up, Miss Dunbar, said a man's voice through the void. The young woman
0: shook off the thick fog of sleep, brushing the cobwebs from her mind as the lingering sluggishness slowly began to wear off. It was only then that she realized she couldn't see anything. Her unique psychic senses registered six people in the room with her. She attempted to reach out with her mind to pick up surface thoughts, but as soon as she did, a piercing pain shot through her skull. When she relented, the pain momentarily subsided. I suggest you avoid the intentional use of your considerable mental powers, Miss Dunbar, a different female voice said. Although you cannot see it, we've got you under heavy guard by multiple cyanet agents with considerable psionic talents of their own. They're already in your head and watching your every move. The female voice shifted tones. Just lay back and relax, Lana. It will all be over soon, she said in an infuriatingly patronizing manner. Did this woman know? Did she know about Mickey Slim and what had happened? Of course, if you choose to cooperate, the process will go much more smoothly, said the voice reassuringly. Her rage flared at the mention of laying back and relaxing as the memories of her traumatic past threatened to resurface. But unsure of what to expect and unable to even see what she was up against, Lana fought back the rising tide and calmed her mind. Deep inside, however, she knew that the female doctor would have to be dealt with in
2: due time. There we go. So much better, Miss Dunbar. Now, if you promise to behave... We can relax the bio manipulation which is affecting your optic nerves, and you'll be able to see that we're not bluffing, said the male voice. Lana tried to nod her head in agreement, but found
0: she could not move a muscle. Interestingly enough, she discovered that her voice seemed to work fine, however, when she successfully vocalized the words, I promise. Like a suddenly opened floodgate, the lights and colors rushed into her eyes. She could see again. Still unable to move her head, she was able to gather that she appeared to be held in a laboratory room of some sort. Her eyes quickly darted around, straining to see her circumstances.
3: How do these fuckers know my name? Somebody must have given up all the goods. When I get a hold of them...
0: The woman's voice again rang into her head. No one ratted you out, Miss Dunbar. We've been tracking you for some time now. Your considerable talents have caught us quite a bit in terms of manpower and other resources, not to mention the uh, acquisitions you've amassed and sold. It took us some time to devise an ingenious scheme to capture you. You see, once we determined that your powers did not make you immune to gases, it was rather simple. Provide the bait, set the trap, and wait. And let me tell you, you did not disappoint. "'Speaking of powers, by the way, before you decide to attempt to ghost out of here, you may wish to take a look at the screen above your head and imagine what might happen to the person on it if you were to decide not to cooperate,' the voice said ominously. Lana looked up. The blank screen flickered for a moment, and there they were. Recent photos of Lana and her mother having dinner only the week before.' They had been celebrating her mother's amazing luck at winning the Citizens' Lottery, a chance to become a full CS citizen, and discussing the application process. Motherfuckers! Her heart sank, and she felt the rage growing inside. These bastards had no conscience at all, and it was obvious when they effectively held her mother as a hostage.
2: Not a hostage, Miss Dunbar. Your mother is safe and unmolested by the CS. For now.
0: The last two words had a special emphasis, indicating that this precarious situation
2: could change if things didn't go the way her captors wanted them to. Your further cooperation will ensure that this remains the case. By that, I mean that you would be wise to contain your anger. The choice is yours, Lana, intoned the male voice.
1: I'm listening. I won't try to escape.
0: Truth be told, Lana was straining to keep her thoughts free and clear from anything other than what she suspected her captors wanted to see. She knew from her own experience with telepathy that they could only pick up surface thoughts. So through sheer force of will, she prevented her mind from wandering towards its usual directions of rebellious rage and focused on cooperation.
2: Excellent. You see, Dr. Simmons, our little side ghost can be reasonable after all exclaimed the male voice. As a token of our newfound partnership, and of our desire to reward your cooperative behavior, we'll release another restraint on you, Lana. Suddenly, she could move again. She turned her head
0: to see a man and a woman in plain white lab coats with gas masks on, obscuring their features. There were four others a bit further away who were staring at her intently, also wearing gas masks. It was then she realized that she was truly trapped. Any wrong move, and they could just gas her again. It's an experimental gas, Lana, explained the female voice. One that the CS has been developing for some time now. In addition to being an invisible, odorless, powerful nerve agent, which induces unconsciousness in a matter of seconds, it also interferes with resistance to psionics. Hence our relative ease at getting into your head right now. That and the fact that our signet mind-melter friends over there are all just itching to pounce on you as soon as they sense something amiss. But of course, that won't be necessary, will it? The woman's voice purred. Straining to keep her cool and choke back the panic inside, she thought,
1: I suppose not. Now, what in the hell do you want with me? If you wanted me dead, you would have killed me already.
2: Hmm. "'You're an observant one. You know, there's a pre-riff's motion picture that comes to mind in this situation, Miss Dunbar,' said the man. "'In it, a powerful man persuades another to do his bidding by making him an offer he can't refuse, if you catch my meaning,' he continued, using his hands to emphasize the imaginary quotation marks.
0: "'We're going to make you one of those offers now, Lana,' said the woman." We've determined that a person of your considerable talents could be a valuable asset in accomplishing certain objectives. Work for us, for the CS, under contract. We'll pay you a monthly salary, set you up, equip you, and you'll have some measure of autonomy. You'll be attached to a special operations unit far from our watchful eyes, with the expectation that you'll provide your valuable services and follow orders from your commanding officers. As we know, you don't enjoy big groups or being the center of attention. You'll fit right in with a small squad around eight operatives. Do this, and you guarantee your mother's citizenship in future. Not only hers, but yours, and once you are released from your obligation, you'll be absolved of all criminal charges and free to do as you please. Within certain reasonable limits, of course." The woman paused to let that sink in for a moment before continuing. If you do a good job, the CS might even turn a blind eye to your professional pursuits, shall we say. Provided they don't involve any more CS assets, of course.
1: What fucking choice do I have?
0: I'm so glad we agree. Let's get started then, shall we? said the woman. That was three long years ago. Lana did as she had agreed to and was inserted into a small team of CS special operatives. She followed her orders and did the CS's dirty work for them. She gained new skills, developed others she already knew, and even learned how to fight and to shoot. She also kept tabs on her mother, but the CS was no fool. They had the Saigos' mother under constant surveillance, planting undercover officers in the same apartment building. In fact, Lana discovered that her mother's own live-in boyfriend was an undercover agent. With such a tight grip on what mattered most to her, Lana did as she was told, following orders to the letter. And she was damn good at it. The best, some might say. In truth, though, Lana was biding her time until she could find a way to break free of the chains this nearly hopeless situation had shackled upon her spirit and her freedom. She was convinced she could find a way to get out from under the thumb of the CS without risking her family. She just needed the right opportunity to make it happen. As it turned out, she didn't have to wait much longer. Whether because her mother knew more than she let on, or for a different reason, one day, one heart-wrenching, terrible day, Lana Dunbar's mother was found dead. All the signs pointed to suicide, and Lana had no reason to suspect otherwise. Clearly, the CS didn't want to lose the only leverage they had over her, so they didn't have a hand in it. Pointing at her impeccable service record and towing the line, Lana was able to successfully petition the CS to allow her to attend her mother's funeral. Of course, they suspected she might try to escape and had Sinet agents at the funeral monitoring her every move. Instead, Lana surprised everyone and did what no one in the CS expected. Once again, she displayed model behavior, interacting and graciously thanking the many visitors who showed up to her mother's funeral. Her mother had become a bit of a minor celebrity upon winning the Citizens' Lottery and had made several real friends. The funeral was a sad affair. Many of her mother's friends showed up, more than anyone expected, certainly. Lana was glad to see her mother had made such a positive impact on the community, and the CS agents observed that she seemed touched. However, as sometimes happens when emotions run high, a bit of a scuffle broke out between some in the small crowd. Fortunately for all involved, it was quite brief, and everything settled back to normal, with Lana picking up her purse, which had been dropped during the chaos, and everyone finished out the funeral with dignity. It was only upon her return to base that her handlers had an inkling something wasn't right. Without warning, Lana suddenly smashed the cameras in her room. As was protocol, and as expected, alarms immediately sounded and the special gas was released. Masked agents were already on their way within seconds. Less than two minutes later, the CS agents arrived to her empty room. They immediately reported the situation and locked down the facility, but it was too late. Lana had packed her gear in advance, and was gone in a matter of seconds. She briefly stopped by the armory, grabbed some supplies and loot to trade or sell, and was gone before they could effectively react. On her way out, she stumbled onto Dr. Simmons, the female doctor whom Lana had made a vow to deal with later. Now fully armed, Lana pounced at the doctor, who was no match for the skilled agent. The doctor fought back in a futile struggle and, before she knew it, was pinned to the ground with Lana on top of her. "'Just lay there and relax,' Lana said, her eyes flaring dangerously, as she slid the knife slowly into the doctor's side while clamping her hand over the woman's mouth to muffle any cries. Whether Dr. Simmons knew Mickey Slim or not did not matter. Vengeance was to be had, and there was no catching her this time. No way to get to her any more.' The CS had nothing of hers that she valued anymore, other than her freedom, and she wasn't going to hang around while they found someone else to threaten that with once again. Quickly, Lana gathered the rest of her things and got the hell out of Dodge.
2: "'How did she do it?' demanded the male doctor to the agents who reported the Psyghost missing. "'How did Lana Dunbar breach our security protocol, brutally stab Dr. Simmons, and get away without so much as a trace?' She never had access to gas masks while at the facility. We made certain of it. He raged while pointing at the screen that
0: had a few seconds of footage showing Lana exiting her room. Gas fumes swirling all around, but wearing a gas mask. Furious, he ordered several agents to assist him in doggedly going over every bit of footage, every report filed, interviewing, both in mundane ways in addition to plucking every surface thought they could from every agent who had interacted with Lana over the past few months. All came up empty. No one could figure out how she got the gas mask in such a tight run operation. What the CS didn't know is that Lana had maintained some semblance of contact with a few people from her old crew who were waiting to help her escape when the time was right. They had kept in touch the old-fashioned way by leaving notes strategically placed for each other to find. Due to the CS watching her closely and due to her desire to keep her friends out of harm's way, These contacts were very brief and very infrequent. Infrequent, that is, until this past week, where Lana saw her opening. And it was with these friends that she planned her escape. At the funeral, she brought a purse. This was not unusual, because sometimes friends and family would give gifts to survivors, and so the CS thought nothing of it. Lana took advantage of this and coordinated with her friends to obtain an exact duplicate of the same black purse. At the opportune moment, her friends sprung the plan into action. There was a scuffle, staged of course, whereupon Lana and another friend at the funeral both lost their purses in the ensuing chaos. Realizing they only had a few seconds before security would break up the scuffle, they quickly swapped purses during the chaotic scene, and the observing agents didn't catch the switch due to the confusion. Sometimes, the classic, low-tech, old-school tricks are the best kind after all. Upon her return to the base, nothing seemed to miss. She consented to being searched, as was standard protocol after interacting with the public. All seemed fine. The purse was emptied of its contents, which was a few envelopes with notes from well-wishers, sentimental letters of memories with her mother, and a few credits here and there to help with funeral expenses. Her gear was already packed for the next mission, so that wasn't unusual. Then, once the time was right, she smashed the cameras and ripped out the lining of the purse to reveal a compact gas mask that was concealed under the purse liner. It was with this that she would make her escape. Reuniting happily with her friends in the burbs, the ones who had enabled her escape, she gave them a respectable prize of stolen CS booty as thanks. However, Lana knew she couldn't hang around with them anymore without placing them at risk, too. She wasn't taking any chances with those CS bastards by leading them to the people she cared about again. Sadly, she told her friends never to expect to see her again, both for their good and for hers. After brief and reluctant goodbyes, she parted ways with them and fled to a local black market safehouse. one she knew the CS did not frequent often where she met with an old friend from her former life on the streets who was a reliable information broker and fence. Her plan was to swap some of the remaining stolen CS gear and insider information she was privy to for a new identity and transportation to safely carry her and her personal equipment out of Chi-Town to a new place where she could get a fresh start. Lana looked closely at a map of North America there on the wall. Where could she go to where she might still have opportunities, but would be out of reach of the CS? At the very least, it would need to be a place with some measure of autonomy, a place that the CS, even if it had a presence there, would not be able to exercise the same kind of authority they had in Chi-Town. She saw a place called Merktown and put her finger directly on the map as she mentally calculated the distance and travel avenues. Merktown, eh? Just like it sounds. A town full of and run by mercenaries, said Silk, her information broker slash fence slash friend. Silk was a short, thin man whom some said, at their peril if said too loudly, had mutant rat ancestry. While not strictly true, at least according to Silk, the man did have a face that looked like a rat, with a long, pointed nose and sly eyes. Silk, you old scoundrel, said the Psy fondly to her friend.
3: Where you been,
0: Nix? replied Silk
3: with a grin. Haven't seen you in what seems like ages. A few years at least, right? Thought you might have been nabbed by the Sight Hounds or something. But I know you're too good for them, right? he winked.
4: Something like that,
0: she replied, getting goosebumps as she heard the alias she used to run into a few years before her capture.
4: They did slip me down a bit, but I found a way.
0: I always do, replied Nick slyly. Suddenly, her face became deadly serious, and she said in a low
4: voice, Silk, I'm in trouble. I need a new ID and a fresh start. It's not safe for me here, and I don't have the time to explain everything. Let's just say I'm not in a position to stay around here for a while, possibly a long while. Can you help?
0: Lana's eyes were pleading, and Silk knew that her request was no joke.
3: You got it, kiddo. Your old buddy Silk has your back. I'll get the paper guys on it right away. He said in the
0: same low voice without hesitation, sensing the urgency of the matter. Lana knew that Silk was, quite possibly, one of the only people she could count on. He always came through for her. Their relationship went way back to when she used to run errands and acquisitions for him while living on the streets. But that's a tale for another time. Silk looked over his shoulder at a few other guys and said, Hey, Polly, come here a sec. A portly bald-faced man with an eye patch walked over. Yeah, What's up, Silk? What you got?' he said, eyeballing Nick's warily the whole time. "'This
3: is Nick's an old friend. He's, he's special to me, as he needs a new identity. Bulletproof, you got it? I need your best work on this one, Polly.' He paused, and then he added, "'It's a code one, Polly.' At the
0: mention of code one, Polly looked at Silk sharply. "'Damn, Silk. Code one? You know those take a little time to do, right? And they don't come cheap.' he complained.
3: The information broker wasn't having any of it. Do it and do it now, Polly. This one can't wait. You know I'm good for whatever it takes, said Silk
0: with a serious look on his face. Polly shrugged. You're a dime, Silk. Eh, give me an hour. The portly man turned around and walked around the corner out of sight.
3: Don't worry about Polly. He's the best we got. He'll fix you up good, said Silk confidently.
1: Don't seem to have much of a choice,
0: thought Lana to herself. I trust you, Silk. If anyone can pull it off, you can, she said in a matter-of-fact sort of way that left nothing to doubt. The two returned to discussing the matter at hand.
3: So about this Merktown. town. It's run by a guy named Drago. They call him the proconsul, if I remember correctly. Anyway, he's the head honcho. They're pretty autonomous there and do their own thing. Hell, they even allow some small arms within city limits. Side arms and such, you know, nothing big. They have their own law and order force there, the, the Murktown Defenders, and are mostly tolerant within limits. It's no Tolkien, but a lot looser than Shaytown, Or even the Burbs, that's for damn sure, said the rat-faced man. It's a thriving little town right on the river banks. They do lots of trade and weapons and other goods. Just about anything a murk could want or need can be found there. "'Lana considered that.
1: "'Sounds promising. "'I wonder what opportunities are there for a ghost.'
0: "'Almost as if reading her mind, Silk said,
1: "'Good opportunities
3: for the right kind of person. "'The kind of person who, you know,
1: lays low "'and knows how to get
3: the right things without too much trouble or cost. "'A poison like you,' he said with a wink.
4: "'And the CS?'
3: "'She inquired rather pointedly. "'I wouldn't worry too much about them. "'The CS has a small presence but no real influence.' Drago doesn't put up with any of that bullshit either, said Silk with a knowing grin. And violence isn't really tolerated, because, you know, it can get out of hand rather quickly, as you might imagine, in a city full of hot-headed armed mercs.
0: Laura nodded, already thinking about the possibilities and making mental calculations. The little man continued. It's a town
3: with around 40,000 souls, but about as modern as anything you'll see here. I even hear the Naruni have a presence there. That alone should tell you the CS don't have much pull, as everyone knows how they feel about those alien weirdos.
0: Lana, her imagination already running wild with possibilities, heard every word Silk said and soaked it up like a dry sponge.
4: Naruni, right. Nice tech, hot stuff, she said thoughtfully, connecting the dots.
1: Even here, where possession of Naruni tech is punishable by death, the market is hot for their gear.
0: Silk nodded with a twinkle in his eye. Lana caught the hint. Naruni Tech sold like water in a desert on the black market. When they could get their hands on it, that is. More often than not, they couldn't
4: keep it in stock longer than half a day when it showed up at all. So, suppose someone here, someone like you, Silk, needs a good... Acquisition specialist for some of the... Shall we say, non-sanctioned hardware one could find in this murk town?
0: She said, letting the sentence trail off and hang in the air. Silk's nose was almost twitching now. Yes, let's suppose that is the case. Go on, he said, hopeful
4: anticipation
0: in his eyes.
4: And, suppose that acquisition specialist was able to get some of that aforementioned non-sanctioned hardware out of murk town and... Into the waiting hands of a smuggler, who was then able to get up here to the burbs,
0: she said, expertly weaving together the story Silk wanted to hear. The rat-faced man was almost giddy at this point. Yes, that person might have quite a handsome profit waiting for themselves, if that were the case, he said, hardly able to contain his mirth. Nix grinned widely and nodded.
4: And the market? Do they have a presence there? she
0: inquired. "'Please, Nix,' he said, while feigning a hurt look. She
4: laughed and then followed up with, "'Of course they do, Silk. They wouldn't miss an opportunity like that. What was I thinking? So who do I need to talk with?' Silk was
0: already scribbling down a name on a scrap of paper and handed it to her promptly. "'Ted
1: Dutcher,'
0: she thought as she read the paper. "'He won't be hard to find. I'll send Wade ahead so he'll be expecting you,' said Silk as he began to look for someone else. Hey, Bobby, come over here for a minute. Nick saw a young man approximately her age walk over to them.
3: This is Bobby. He's a rift runner. He'll be sure to get you out of here safely,
0: he said, looking at the young man square in the face. Now, Bobby, we need this to be discreet, you get me? She'll be ready in about an hour or so, said Silk. So. Anything you say, Sue," Bobby said as he nodded, turned and disappeared around the same corner Polly had disappeared around earlier. The rest of the hour was spent catching up and negotiating. Nix found her bargaining skills had gotten rusty from lack of practice, and Silk probably got far more value from her than what he gave in return. But she justified that as part of the cost of the relationship. He was doing her some big favors, after all. Plus, she knew she could more than make up for it later as the point of contact for Silk's operations in Murktown, and the source of some of the illicit goods that would soon be heading his way. Preparations were made, Deals were cut, and the young Psyghost was soon headed to Murktown, smuggled out of Shy town in the Burbs by a team of professionals that included Bobby the Rift Runner, who expertly used his magic to evade detection and capture, with his skills and talents belying his young appearance. Nix arrived in Murktown with a new identity and some opportunities for a new life waiting in the works. After presenting Silk's letter of introduction to Boss Dutcher with the black market, she was able to develop some contacts and get established. She was finally free of the shackles of the C.S., free to pursue whatever fate had in store for her, free to seek new opportunities in this new place and begin life anew, as free as a ghost.
2: That's all then, Major? came the voice over the secure line.
0: Uh, Yes, sir, that's all, sir, sputtered the voice on the other end of the line as the Major swallowed hard. "'Dunbar was spotted entering Mercktown and, and reporting to the location of Ted Dutcher, the, "'the local black market boss in the area. "'Sir, I really wish I could spare the manpower to keep a closer eye on her,' But "'came the voice on the other line,
2: but the Major was quickly cut off. "'See to it that you do find the resources, Major.' "'The doctor's voice had a dangerous edge to it. "'I don't want excuses. "'I want this little bitch back in my lab before the end of the month.' "'That'll be all, Major,' he said as the mysterious male doctor hung up
0: the phone without waiting for a response. A cruel, sinister smile slowly spread across his lips. It was just a matter of time before Lana Dunbar would be back in the lab and back in his clutches. And this time, this little psy-ghost, murderer of his fiance, she wouldn't get away so easily.'